Good morning. My name is Michael McCusker. Today is January 5th, the day H.G. Wells's Time Traveler, set to appear back home from eons of future trajectory into the future that he began on the last day of the 19th century. It was disconcerting to see the sun arc in less than a minute, to see a snail race by, my flowers fling wide their petals to embrace the new day, Wells's time traveler says at the beginning of his thousands of years venture into unknown time. Today's program is much more tepid a tiptoe into a new year of a still new century of a baby millennium. I start with some musings I have corralled into a possibly coherent commentary, and I preface it with a quote by Jean-Francois Lyotard, quote, the evolutionary goal of our species is to escape the planet before the sun explodes, unquote. The human species is not unlike any other life form that has lived temporarily on Earth some of which far surpassed humanity's current span before becoming extinct for one earthly reason or other. Like its individual members whose lives run on a personal timeline without reprieve, the human species must eventually die away, possibly abruptly by its own careless miscalculations or over a longer span of decrepities. And like a person, it can die at any stage or age of its evolution. The richness of its past, its dreams or schemes, its successes or obsolescence, none of these is a case against death individually or in mass. The very quality that forced human rule over Earth, our ruthless and intelligent violence, is the obstacle to our continued existence as might also be a rigid clinging to behavior that ultimately squanders our survival. We differ from our extinct predecessors and species we have rendered extinct in that our threatened oblivion is from our own industry and the possibility that we might also overcome our imprudent history momentarily and survive a while longer than might be anticipated. There is nothing more politically pertinent than the fervent desire of humanity to overcome its own self-genocidal penchant and survive a while longer upon home planet Earth, Mother Gaia. There is good reason why each of us must die, primarily to make room and leave a few necessary resources for our descendants. What is different now is the imperative that we must individually and collectively step outside our small fears and parochial prejudices and ensure a world for our inheritors. It is the great mass of ordinary people who will and must prevent world suicide by our own industry and prejudices. It must be done by everyone, beginning with each one, and it is later than we think, which is not a cliché. Each of us will die, either solitarily or quite possibly in mass, in eventual extinction of humanity, if we do not arrest this 
several oblivions we have invented for our own doom. There has never been a more personal or more universal struggle in our history. A paradox that underlies history is that the eras of greatest creativity and discovery are the most unsettling and precarious. The nearly eight decades since the Holocaust of World War II have been unparalleled in advances of knowledge and productivity, comparable to the entirety of the previous ten millennia. Yet human invention has subsequently structured technologies that are disintegrating civilization, even as civilized life owes its existence to them, not to mention the obviously grievous decimation of the natural world. Seers of government and industry patronize the public with visions of incredible affluence and certain virtually painless solutions to deadly problems prompted by the technological phenomenon of big science. A persistent irony that a world in which half at least of its population is threatened with death daily because it has scarcely enough with which to survive is that the minority portion that has much more than it knows what to do with is strangling on the gross effluence of its affluence. Big science and its handmaiden technology modernize materialistic recognized civilization by ripping away its essential fabric without making much effort to cognate the especially psychic damage it induced in a kaleidoscopic surge into an incomprehensible future. This is the apex at which history is declared dead, without significant meaning except as memory and latent nostalgia, because it is claimed to no longer having any bearing or effect on present or future, a dustbin of no more consequence than a passing second of time. The race is to the swift who disregard consequences. It would be a grotesque irony that humanity might perish from future life on Gaia because it is unable to resolve conflicts from its earliest history, helplessly mired in what seems a perpetual present, instants flailing at it like locusts, while patently self-destructing its present presence, infinite infinity. And that was something I wrote, some musings about the new year we are facing. And I would like to read now some possible resolutions for the new year, which I have read before on this program, and I shall read again. The first one on the list might be a resolution to re-educate yourself and critically examine the fundamentals and history of human rights. Resolve to refuse fables of racial and national supremacy might be the next resolution. Resolve to stand firm against a despotic attempt to reinstate a neo-despotic patriarchy. Resolve to refute current notions that the opposition does not have the right to exist. Resolve to assist holding together a society threatened with dissolving into disorder and inequality by Yankee Doodle apartheid. Resolve that if chaos and disorder devolve upon society by bigoted cleansing campaigns, 
to retain democracy in the home and in the neighborhood and community. Resolve to not allow and to personally intercede when the essentials of democratic life are threatened. Remember, we have the absolute right to defend our rights. Resolve to understand implicitly that a majority begins with one and flows outward. Resolve to resist one party and or one religion rule over this overwhelmingly multicultural nation, which would destroy democracy more surely than the cancer of onerous economic inequality. Resolve to return the term populist to its rightful definition of the people, which has been tarnished and soiled by right-wing absolutists who wish to eradicate governance by the people and simultaneously resolve to remove the elitist stigma of the term aggressive. Resolve to defeat tyranny masked within democracy. Resolve to bear witness to local oppression. Resolve to not be bullied even by the most dangerous and spiteful. Resolve to personally stick up for the rights and persons of those prejudiced against. Resolve to resist the so-called security state that protects the ruling class by suppressing the rights of the people. Resolve to resist a registry of Muslims or any other religion, race, minority, or opposition. Resolve to show up at protests against the hijacking of democratic government. Write letters, send emails, tweet, and speak out whenever and wherever necessary. Resolve to donate and participate in progressive causes. Work in campaigns for local, state, and national progressive candidates. Resolve to keep your head and convictions when others might temporize their own. Resolve to not be pushed around by bullies who think they have a mandate to sow and reap fear. Resolve to refute petty demagogues who will try to shut you down. Resolve to resist or shake off complacency. This is no time for it. Resolve to organize against the anti-democratic purge of not only the external forms of democracy, but also the explicit deterioration of its substance. Resolve to resist the resurgence of the nuclear arms race. We are past that insanity. Resolve to resist government and corporate oppression at work. Revive unions. Resolve to resist government control of information and suppression of a free press or any other form of speech, thought, or media. Never forget that the First Amendment is the real guardian of all the other rights and liberties guaranteed by constitutional government. Resolve to resist privatization of education. Public education preserves democracy. Resolve to resist denial of women's rights and equality. Male superiority is a sick joke. Resolve to fight for women's reproductive rights and resist attempts to abolish Roe versus Wade. Half the human race subjugating the reproductive half is ridiculously counterproductive. Resolve to resist racial, sexual, and ethnic slurs and attacks against anybody. Resolve to not remain silent when someone spouts racist, sexual, or ethnic remarks. Resolve to resist attempts to abolish environmental standards and fight to increase them for the health and preservation of our descendants and the world they will inhabit. 
resolve to resist climate change denial and those who speciously espouse that denial. Resolve to ardently support affordable and competent health care for everybody. Resolve to support gun control and restraints upon those who may possess firearms, especially open carry laws and posse comitatus style militia armament. Resolve to demand restraints upon upper class wealth accumulation. Resolve to insist on limits of corporate influence over laws and politics. Resolve to uphold fair laws and resist unjust and prejudicial laws. And those are my resolutions, at least for this new year. And I hope I am able to keep them. And now, for the annual poem by James Dodd. This year, how Anna's Hummingbirds conquered winter. Kaliti Anna, if I'm pronouncing that right. Fierce bits emerald and ruby melded to quartz, lit like sparks from the sun's unceasing fire. Immigrants from the warmer south. French ornithologist René Lesson described the bird in 1829, a specimen received from California. He never saw a living one, named it for his friend's wife, Anne. Their habitat then was Chaparral, Southern California, Northern Baja. Since the 60s, their range has grown. Exotic plantings, warming climate, I mean bird feeders. Summer is easy here. So many flowers and gnats, mosquitoes, midges to supplement the sweet. Spring and fall have enough to forage for. Early, late flowers, always insects, sometimes spiders. The winter here is hard, no nectar, few flies, but after frost, nearly none. So it is us, the devoted, the indulgent, who make it possible to winter over. Each beak a needle piercing air for the buzzing arc and wheel up away from sudden stillness at the feeder to maple top or azalea's brushy center. Click and whirr, rise and bank, over, dive, return, as if subatomic particles crashed out of a collider and were transformed into flesh and feather, beak and bone. They rule this acre of air, demand their tribute, remind us that their namesake, Anna, and D. Essling, was grand matress to the Empress Eugenie, and therefore they merit royal treatment. To behold our beauty, you must give us homemade nectar. Thaw it if it freezes. Keep the mold away. Use only pure cane sugar, not that trash from beets and honey. Honey is for bees. Fall short. We'll leave and seek more royal subjects. Gravity is a fiction easily denied. They grip the feeder's rails so as not to float away. They feed they stay through these cold, brief days and infuse us with their light. And that was by Jim Dodd. How Anna's, I mean, birds conquered winter. And now, by Colbert King. No resolutions for me, but here's hoping there's a reckoning for Trump. 
I resolved to neither renew old New Year's resolutions nor add any new ones. I do, however, fervently wish that 2023 will bring about a reckoning between Donald Trump and the law, that in the new year, the former president will be called to account for betraying his oath of office, and if there is sufficient evidence to prove he has committed other crimes, that he be indicted. Neither is too much to hope for, and both are much desired. Trump who is divisive and demagogic at home and favors autocratic regimes abroad, is the United States' greatest scourge on public service in the 21st century. Among U.S. presidents, Trump stands out most for his dereliction of duty. His oath was simple and direct. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, quote, unquote. But on January 6, 2021, when the Capitol, the symbol of U.S. democracy, was assaulted by a mob summoned to Washington by him, Trump did nothing. It was the most violent domestic attack on the U.S. government since the Civil War. There it was, a mob seeking to delay and disrupt a joint session of Congress empowered by the Constitution to transfer presidential power. This is not, after the fact, guesswork. We learned what happened not only from the report by the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack, but also through our own eyes and ears. Trump supporters were seen assembling on the Capitol grounds and the ellipse. We saw mobs removing police fencing and clearing out areas so their fellow rioters could assess restricted Capitol grounds. It was not our imagination. We witnessed mobs clashing with and overtaking the police. We saw them storming the Capitol building climbing scaffolding and smashing windows. We saw one carrying a full-size Confederate battle flag into the building. We learned, to our horror, as viewers and listeners, that Vice President Mike Pence, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, House and Senate leaders, and the rest of Congress were evacuating the Capitol and hiding in their offices or wherever they could find safe space and protection. No one needed to tell us. We watched for hours as law enforcement, including a large contingent of courageous D.C. police officers, fought to clear the mob of insurrectionists out of the Capitol and off its grounds. The President of the United States watched also. But now, because of the January 6th Committee's report, we know so much more. We know that from the time Trump finished his speech at the Ellipse, in which he announced his intentions to join his mob of supporters in a march to the Capitol. He was aware of efforts in the House chamber to delay the electoral counts and overturn the election. Trump knew, as did we, that violent mobs were marauding the Capitol. He knew because his advisors and family members tried and tried to get him to tell the mob to leave the Capitol, and he would not. 
only after it became clear that violent insurrection would not stop the certification of the electoral vote did Trump release a video telling rioters to go home. As commander-in-chief, Trump had the capacity to marshal the power of the U.S. government to stop the blatant attack on a constitutional process. For more than three hours, 187 minutes, as the committee clocked it, Trump sat back and did not lift a finger. Despite his sworn obligation to protect and defend the Constitution, Trump shamefully and shamelessly violated his oath. What kind of political party would ever again put forward for public office such a betrayer of the Constitution? The Republican Party, if it stands for anything, should work up its nerve and tell Trump thus far and no further. In addition, Trump and federal criminal statutes could have a day of reckoning in 2023. The January 6th committee concluding an 18-month investigation said Trump did more than sit in the White House and sulk on January 6th. In referral of criminal charges to the Justice Department, the committee said that the former president, among other things, incited or assisted the January 6th insurrection and obstructed an official proceeding of Congress. The committee unanimously agreed to the referral. More to the point, Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel to oversee two criminal investigations that involve Trump. First, whether there was any unlawful interference with the transfer of power following the 2020 presidential election or the certification of the Electoral College vote. And second, the alleged mishandling of classified documents and other presidential records and possible obstruction of an investigation. Trump is up to his eyeballs in both. Partisan GOP grousing and Trump's witch hunt claims notwithstanding, the Garland-led Justice Department can be expected to follow the facts and the law in reaching decisions about Trump and his Confederates. Here's hoping that 2023 will see Trump meeting at the bar of justice with verdicts to follow. And that was by Colbert I. King. No resolutions for me, but here's hoping there's a reckoning for Trump. And he wrote it for the Washington Post. This is Michael McCusker. Dylan Hauser-Schalk is this program's engineer. A personal note. On this date, 63 years ago, January 5th, 1960, I reported for USMC boot camp in San Diego, California. Five days earlier, USMC General David M. Shoup who won a Medal of Honor at Tarawa during World War II, became Commandant of the Marine Corps. I re-enlisted for the Vietnam War six years later. Back home alive and unhurt, I joined the fledgling Vietnam veterans against the war in New York City, 
because the USA acted as brutally in Vietnam as the Russians are in Ukraine. In the summer of 1971, VVAW conducted a week-long protest against the war in Washington, D.C., and we threw our war medals at Congress. Retired USMC General David Shoup publicly announced our forthcoming demonstration, surrounded by a dozen or so former USMC sergeants. You might consider this a tale of two Marines from two very different strata who converged in conscience, though we never met. And I wish to add to the public tribute to the recently deceased Barbara Walters, with whom I worked on NBC's Today Show in early 1968. Though I was a lowly gopher, she and her co-host, Hugh Downs, allowed me to talk to their prominent anti-war guests, the only TV network show to regularly feature such guests, following on-camera interviews. My intent was to acquaint these notables of the existence of Vietnam veterans against the war, which, for several months after its inception, VVAW was generally embargoed in the mainstream media. That year, 1968, was at the advent of Barbara Walters' remarkable trailblazing career in TV journalism, and she was a beacon for women journalists. I liked and admired her immensely. Ditto for Hugh Downs, who died in 2020 at age 99. KMUN is 40 years old this year, not counting the years of labor preceding its birth. Have a yin and yang year.